Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15. As we come to the end of this chapter, some of you will be shocked that we will have so many verses in one sermon today. Uh, But we're going to look at verses 12 through 27 through the end of that chapter. And uh, hopefully cover it. Somebody said it's going to be a short sermon. I said you figure it out. 15 verses, 16 verses, maybe a couple hours, maybe not. But I want you to hear the word of the Lord. This is such a a strategic chapter in in the Gospel of John. We've talked about that. Jesus is talking about the intimacy of the believer and his Lord. He's talking about the union with Christ that we have as believers, that we are not just saved and then set out on a path to take care of ourselves, but we are in Christ, and that in Christness is what gives us strength and gives us hope and gives us courage and gives us the ability to press forward even when times are difficult. I I found it kind of amusing that God always does amusing things. When I chose the text for Brother Scott to read this morning, I was choosing it for that last phrase in it. And that is that uh, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, Christ became, what not even thinking that right after he read that was going to be the singing of Cornerstone. And we were going to sing about him, our great Cornerstone. And so it just kind of all flows together. And then uh, Pat had no idea what I was going to preach on today, and his prayer was so in line with what we need to be thinking about in light of the text, in light of, of the sermon today. So it, it's always fun. When God just kind of puts it all together, you know, kind of brings it all together at this particular time. I want you to hear the word of the Lord, and then I want us to think about what Jesus is saying. He's talking about two different things in this passage. He's talking about the believer's relationship with other Christians and how that relationship is to be. And he's talking about the believer's relationship with the world and really how the world will react to every single true believer that is in Christ Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, he's already talked about loving one another. He's already said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And over and over and over in this passage in John, Jesus keeps reiterating that. He keeps driving that home. So it must be pretty important. This is a commandment that I leave you, that you love one another. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. And that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. There it is again. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world 
hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I, have not done, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that was written in their law, they hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, coming back to the Holy Spirit again, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. You ever wondered what it is that Satan would like to do in your life the most? Have you ever wondered, you know, what is the real thing that would most please him and most satisfy him above everything else? Maybe you've thought about that, maybe you haven't. I, I, I love reading in C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters. I've mentioned those before. And, and Screwtape Letters are an interesting compilation of letters that that C.S. Lewis, quote, discovered one time. He would not tell how he discovered those, he said in the preface, how they came to be in his possession. But they're letters from Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood. Screwtape is the chief tempter over all the minions of tempters, and his nephew Wormwood is his, is his protege. And the letters are to Wormwood encouraging him on how to better tempt those who are, are in the world, especially his new client, that has just become a Christian. And in letter number nine, he talks about how there are troughs in the Christian life, that the Christian life is not one steady thing of growth, that we all hit high points and we all hit low points. And, and in, chapter nine, in letter nine, he talks about how that, that Wormwood needs to take full advantage of those troughs. So as a matter of fact, if he is of the more hopeful type, that is the client of, of, of uh, Wormwood's, if he is of the more hopeful type, your job is to make him acquiesce in the present low temperature of his spirit and gradually become content with it, persuading himself that it is not so low after all. In a week or two, you'll be making, uh, you'll be making him doubt whether his first days of his Christianity were not perhaps just a little excessive. Talk to him about moderation in all things. Notice that is a passage of scripture. Paul said to the Philippians, show moderation in all your conversation and all your deeds. So talk to him about moderation in all things. If you can once get him to the point of taking that religion is very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. Here's the key. A moderate religion is as good as no religion at all. And a, a whole lot more amusing from, from Screwtape's point of view. 
A moderate religion is much more amusing and just about as good as no religion at all, Screwtape says to Wormwood. It's kind of like what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea. He said, you know, you're, you're neither hot nor cold, you're just lukewarm. You know, I would that you were either cold, that is totally indifferent to me, totally opposed to me and an opponent of mine, or I wish that you were hot and sold out completely to me because lukewarmness is kind of nauseating, Jesus said. You're either hot or cold, you're lukewarm, and so Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus is concerned about as he's talking to his disciples and to you and me in John chapter 15. He starts out by saying, listen, this is the command I give you. I, I command you to love one another as I have loved you. You know, it's, it's kind of like Paul saying in forgiveness, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Has forgiven you. He kind of raises the bar. Here he raises the bar on this one. He says, I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. It would have been one thing if Jesus said, just, just love one another. And we could have gone about saying, oh, I love you, I love you. We could use words, all that are flowery and beautiful and everything, saying, oh, I, I, I love all people, I love all mankind. It's like Lucy in the Peanuts comic strip who said, you know, I, I, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. You know, and we kind of could go about that. If Jesus had not said, this is my commandment, commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. The Lord here speaks of the grace of brotherly love within the body of Christ. There, there's a grace about that. There's a grace that is shared when we love one another and care for one another and demonstrate that love to one another. It is a grace that touches other people's lives. He would have us know that we can never think too highly of this love. He would have us know that we can never think that it's, it's too much love to love one another. Or, or maybe we're going too far in loving one another. He said, no, there, there's no such thing as that. Because this love is to be loved in the same way that he loved us. We can never attach too much weight, weight to it. We can never love too much or practice it too much within the body of Christ. Jesus says, this is what it's all about. Your relationship to one another is to be according to that highest standard, loving one another just as Christ has loved us. The person who cannot do this or refuses to even try to do this is disobeying a clear and direct command of the Lord. And it's more, as I say, it's more than just saying with words, I love you. It's more than just mouthing some kind of pious platitudes about love. Love is action. Jesus said, you're my disciples and I love you. And how did he love us? He loved us by laying down his life for us. He loved us for dying, by dying for us on the cross in order to bring about forgiveness of our sins, in order to bring about a reconciliation between us and God. He loved us so much that he gave everything that we might be able to enter into right relationship with God. And he says, there's your standard. There's never too much you can do. There's never too much you can emphasize in having love for one another. Uh, a precept like this within the Word should stir us up to, to, in a great searching of our hearts. There, there ought to be that analysis. There ought to be that 
inward look. Am I loving as Christ loved me? Am I sharing with the body in the same way that Christ loved me? Or am I just kind of zipping in, zipping out, saying, hi there, how are you doing? Kind of on a superficial, cliche level, you know. Oh, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. And then going our very way and never showing genuine, self-giving, sacrificial love for one another. You know, love has been defined as meeting others' needs without expecting anything in return. That, that's, a, that's a pretty good expression of love. It's a pretty good definition of love. It's just, it's just seeing someone in need, especially someone who can't do anything for you, who can't really have any grounds to repay you or, or to, to give you something in return, but just seeing a need within the body of Christ and meeting that need and going on. So there's a great emphasis put on this love within the body of Christ. Secondly, the Lord speaks of the relationship between himself and, and believers. He says, you know, greater love has no man than this. I lay down my life, a man lays down his life for his friends, and you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves. Now, that's an interesting statement because later on the apostle Paul is going to say, I am a doulos of Christ. I am a slave of Christ, sold to him completely. And Jesus is not saying here that we are not still to be sold out to him as the Apostle Paul talks about. When he says, you're my friends, he's saying there is this intimacy again. There's this, this friendship that, that supersedes religion, that goes beyond just a religious activity. I, I, you're my friends, and as my friends, I'm sharing with you everything the Father has told me to share with you. I'm giving you a full understanding of what the Christian life is all about. We have the great assurance that Jesus has withheld nothing from us who belong to him, who are in Christ. He's withheld nothing from us that we need to know in order to be obedient to him. And beyond that, he sent his spirit, his Holy Spirit, that he'll deal with even more in chapter 16, who will, who will teach us truth, who will teach us all things that we need to know. Now, he doesn't teach us everything. We don't know everything. There's a lot of questions that I still have and a lot of a lot of mystery that still exists in my life and in my understanding of the Christian faith and, and no doubt in yours too. But that mystery are things that we accept by faith and don't need to know the answer to right now in order to be everything that God has called us to be. He says, you're my friends. I, I, you didn't choose me, I chose you out of the world. I appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. He goes not only about his relationship with all true believers, but he talks about how he is intimately involved in calling and in bringing and in sending every believer. You see, we really are called to be sent. We really are set apart as believers to go out. It's not a matter of just, oh, well, I think I'll just be a Christian but not be one who is about bearing fruit, who will not be one about being, you know, missions and, and evangelism and all those things. We'll leave that to somebody else. So Jesus said, listen, if you're in me, you've got to follow that commission. That commission is a part of the Christian life just as much as, as being forgiven of sin is. You're called to be about sharing the gospel. This, this idea of, of being chosen by him, in him, appointed by him, 
that we should go and bear fruit is the whole idea that sanctification is a part of being called sanctification and growth and spiritual growth and, and being used of God to bear spiritual fruit that we've already talked about, the fruit of righteousness that he talks about in Philippians and in Galatians chapter 5. It's that bearing of fruit, but here it goes a step further. It's to bear the fruit of, of new believers, to bear the fruit of those who will come to know Christ through our testimony, through our ministry, and through our work. We are to go and be involved in all that wherever we go every day that we go. And he says that's really not an option. Paul said in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said, knowing brethren, he said, well, first of all, he said, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your name's sake. So, Become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you may become an example to all the believers throughout Macedonia and in Archaea. But Paul says, listen, I know that, that you have grown in faith and love and hope. I know that there is that sanctifying presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it always is at work. Christianity is not a static religion. Christianity is a dynamic relationship. Christianity is not just going through a lot of do's and don'ts. Religion does that well. Christianity is knowing Christ and abiding in Christ, as he said in John 15, and, and, and being in Christ, union with him in all things, in all ways. He says, that is what this life is about. Knowing Him, walking with Him, and abiding with Him. He says, listen, I am the vine, you are the branches. Union. He says, listen, my command is you love one another as I've loved you. Community. Union with Christ, community with one another, body life with one another within the church, within the body of Christ. And then there's the world. You know, it sounds good to be in union with Christ, doesn't it? I hope it does. Thank you. It, it sounds good to be loving one another, doesn't it? Encouraging one another, building one another up. But then he comes to verse 18. If, and the anticipation there is since or when, if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me first. It's interesting. If the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore 
the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. She said, I want you to understand first and foremost, your relationship to the world as a believer is that true Christians must expect to meet in this world hatred and persecution. Now, now we don't see that in America, do we? We don't see that here. I, I don't know. You know, it may be coming, but it may be that, that actually Satan is just kind of satisfied with where we are. I, I think about Wormwood, and he'll say in a moderate religion, or excuse me, screw tape, a moderate religion is, is better or as good as no religion at all and a whole lot more amusing because it's many times very hypocritical. I was reading a book last week entitled The Insanity of God, a strange title, no doubt, but The Insanity of God by a guy named Nick Ripkin. And, and Ripkin said this in the book, he said, when, when Ruth and I speak and teach and share with Western churches, we are often asked if we believe that persecution is coming to America. My response is often rather pointed. And I say, quite sincerely, why would Satan want to wake us up when he's already shut us up? Why would Satan bother with us when we are already accomplishing his goal? He will likely conclude it is far better to let us sleep. Very similar to what I think I shared with you some weeks ago about Brother Watson, the old pastor that I first knew when he was in his 80s, and he's long with the Lord, when he said that he pastored for years in Lincoln, Alabama, and an old friend came back that used to pastor there and asked him, said, I guess Satan's still just as active here in Lincoln as he ever was, right? Brother Watson said, oh, no, 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 he, Satan hadn't been here in years. He said, wow, when I was here, there was drunkenness and infidelity and and all sorts of anger and clamoring and, and backbiting and just all sorts of sin. The brother said, oh, 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 that, that's all still here. So about 10 years ago, Satan came, looked over Blue Eye Mountain up there and looked down on Lincoln and said, hmm, things are going pretty good on their own. I don't guess I have to fool with them. And he went somewhere else. There's a sense in which that pretty well could describe America and the American church. We have become so culturized. We have become so inundated by the culture around us that quite honestly, the culture doesn't hate the church. Oh, there are pockets of times when, when the church rises up and wants to speak some truth and wants to speak some truth that they say, oh, you're, you're bigoted, you're, you're, you don't understand, you're, you're backward, you're behind. And, and there's a lot of truth in that, that, that the world will speak that way when the church does rear its head up and try to speak some truth. But what does the church normally do when that kind of thing comes? They quickly withdraw and shut up all over again. Jesus said, I want you to know this. If you are in me and you are being obedient to me and you're loving one another and you're being what the church is called to be, the world's going to hate you. Because quite honestly, the gospel is an offense to the world. The gospel is an offense to lost man. You go to somebody and you say, you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and, and all of a sudden they're going to say, oh, whoa, don't you call me a sinner. I'm not, I'm not a sinner. I'm a pretty good person. Well, no, the Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory. You're just being judgmental. 
Who are you to judge me? Didn't Jesus also say, judge not that ye be not judged? The most misquoted scripture in all the world, by the way. Yeah. That's exactly what Jesus said, but he's not talking about not speaking the truth. He's not talking about not speaking what his word has already said. We are called to speak the truth of God's word no matter what. But when we speak it, the world will hate us, Jesus says. The world will react against that. Paul made that clear in Romans 9, 23, when he said, Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed, but Christ and the gospel will be a stumbling block and a stone of offense to many people who don't know him. Galatians, Paul said, But but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, that is the old ritualistic religion, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. The cross is a stumbling block. If we just be religious, it takes away the stumbling block. Or 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8, which Scott read just a little earlier, this precious value then is for you who believe but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, that is Christ, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and this doom, to, to this doom they were also appointed. I, I find it interesting. We've we got a lot of kids in college, and, and a lot of them have been trained well in our youth ministry and preparing for college. And as they've gone off, they run into all sorts of things. And I, I get text messages, and Todd does, and emails from some of our college students all the time. And I'm amazed at the way our education system today is just determined to undermine Christianity any way it can. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, Todd and I, the same student this past week, exchanged several things. One, they wanted to attack the creation story, which is kind of an easy target, they think. And at other times, another one, they got and said, uh, this professor said, you know, the, the New Testament writers totally misinterpreted the Old Testament. And they just missed it. Now, they didn't really give any examples. They just make the carte blanche statement. And she wrote me and said, what do you say to that? I said, I say, your professor's got a real anti-Christian agenda. And, uh, you just have to stand on the word, and she does. But the world hates that. The world stands against that. If disciples of Jesus Christ are going to look for kindness and gratitude from the world, they're going to be sorely and painfully disappointed if they're speaking the truth of Christ. If they're standing firm in what he has called us to be. Another thing about this persecution that Jesus makes clear is that, that persecution helps prove that we are children of God and we have treasure laid up in heaven. He said, this is, this is evidence. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they didn't like me, they're not going to like you. If they stood against my truth and stand against my truth, they're going to stand against any truth you try to bring. Now, if they love me, they'll love you. But if they love me, they're not of the world. They're part of the body of Christ, whether they're part of grace or not. They're if they love you and hear God's word, hear Christ's truth, then they're your brother and sister, whether they're in your own local assembly or not. I mean, Jesus wants to make clear that 
persecution supplies evidence that we really are born again, that we have grace in our hearts, that we are heirs of His glory. When He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you, but you're not of the world. The world loves its own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world will not love you. You belong to me. You know, we, we live in a day that has become so, the, the church has become so complacent. That's the only word I know to think about. Not, not just, I mean, the church around the country, around the world, maybe not around the world so much, because in some places they're facing real persecution, and you don't become complacent under persecution. But if you're complacent, you won't draw persecution. Does that make sense? I mean, you got the church in some parts of the country, uh, some parts of the world that are speaking the truth in very hostile environments. We've got missionaries that are going out to parts of the world that we can't even say where they, got, where they are. We've got some friends of this church that are in places right now that we can't say publicly where they are because of the danger that will be placed upon their life because they're speaking Christ's truth in a culture and in a land that wants nothing to do with Christ. They want a lot to do with religion, but not with Christ. But, but as long as we live in a world and in a country that says, well, you know, really, we just need to be tolerant of everybody and we just need to recognize that their truth is their truth and my truth is my truth and our truth may not be the same, but everything's true. And there are a lot of folks saying that. I had a friend call me this past week. Thinking about, he's, he's, he was one of my deacons in Stone Mountain, Georgia, ages ago when I was there. Great guy, great friend, love him to death. They moved to a small place in Pennsylvania, and, and they, they found, they've gone to all sorts of churches, Baptist churches, all sorts of churches. They, they went to one church where they really like the pastor. He's really a nice guy and really preaches interesting sermons, and, and the people are nice. And uh, he said, I think we're going to join. I just wanted to get your impression of that. He told me what the church was, and I said, well, I have a real problem with that. He said, why? I said, well, officially they endorse this, 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 and they stand against this. And, and by the way, how do you like the song in Christ Alone? He said, that's one of our favorite songs. I said, you'll never sing it there. It's been banned by that church. Oh, really? But the people are so nice. The pastor's so nice. Yeah. But they're also not teaching the truth of God's word. The world will love a church that does not take a stand on God's truth. Understand that. And, and for the most part, the world is satisfied with the church in America today because, quite honestly, we are asleep. We're, we're, like, we're like screw tape says. Just, just get them to, to see that moderation is what's right. Get them to think, he said later in that letter, he said, let him think, or he said in that same passage, he said, let him think that his, his first experience of Christianity, those first days, Get him to think they weren't perhaps just a little excessive, a little over the top, a little too fanatical, a little too something. Think back to your first days when you came to Christ. Can you think back that far? 
I have a hard time, but I can. There was a joy that filled my heart. There was an excitement that filled my heart. And I wanted to talk to folks about it. I mean, I couldn't help but share it with people. People that wanted to hear it. People that didn't want to hear it. I didn't really care. How about you? I mean, I get to... I get to act like I'm the same way, you know, as I was back then because I get to preach every Sunday. So, you know, it looks like I'm still doing that as much as I ever did. But in everyday conversation, what do you talk about? In everyday conversation, what do you show you really love? Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in those seven letters of Revelation that talks to Laodicea about hot and cold, he says to the church at Ephesus, you know, the problem is you, you're, very, you're very active. you got all the signs of being a, 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 an active church. But you've left your first love. You've left your first love. You really loved me at one time. At one time, I was really all that mattered. I was all you could talk about. I was all that you were consumed with. But now you've left your first love. Jesus says here, you're to love me and, I'm to love, and I love you and you're to love one another and, 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 and the, the body will love one another and they'll prove to be my disciples and they'll prove to be my friends and they'll prove they belong to me. And, and by the way, when you prove that, the world will hate you, period, because it hated me. I think what Jesus is saying here is what he said to the church at Ephesus. Here's how you'll prove you really are mine. If you love me supremely and you love one another like I've loved you. You know, to love, you've got to be involved. If I said to my wife, I love you, Retta, and then was never involved in her life, just off doing my own thing, and she was off doing her own thing, there wouldn't be much convinced love there. But we're involved in each other's lives. As a church, are you involved in one another's lives? Are you on this side involved with these on this side? Are you in the middle kind of on both, you know, or do you just sit there and sit there and go through the motion and never bother to involve yourself in others' lives? One of my greatest joys is every Sunday after church, just stand there watching and waiting for everybody to finish up talking and sharing with one another because they're they're involved. They're not just sitting through a service; they're involved to talk and minister and find out about one another. That's important, folks. That's important what Jesus is talking about here. I command you this. I don't just suggest it. If you are mine, I command you, love one another as I have loved you. Love is not feeling. I'm in the middle of several premarital counseling situations right now with couples getting married in our church. And I tell every one of them, 
love is not the feeling you're feeling right now. You're feeling the feeling because you're showing love to one another. Our culture says feel, uh, you know, love is a feeling. Love is a feeling. You feel when you get a feeling. You feel like you're never going to feel it again. I mean, that's what the cultural view of love is. Just all about feeling. Well, love is about action. And, and, and I told a couple this two couples this week in premarital counseling. I said, let me tell you something. When the feelings start dropping, you've got to work on the action in order to restore the feelings. The feelings will not restore the actions. It has to go the other way. And that goes for newlyweds and oldlyweds and the church. So I just don't feel like I love my church. Well, then what are you doing action-wise, ministry-wise, demonstrating love? More than just waiting for a feeling to come. I don't know. Jesus said, you love one another as I've loved you. The world's not going to like that if you're speaking my truth. If you're living out the fruit of the Christian life, if sanctification is taking place in your life because you are in me, I tell you what, I certainly don't want Jesus to come back one day and say, you know, Grace Baptist, Satan had you where he wanted you. You were asleep at the wheel. May we love one another. And may we confront our culture with the truth of the living God, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father, it is by your grace that we are in Christ. And it is for your glory that we are to live in Christ. Demonstrating your truth. Demonstrating your word. Father, we need for you to energize our hearts to love. For one another. in this body. Father, I, I know there are many who are doing that. But Lord, help us to continue in your truth. As your disciple, help us learn how properly to relate to other believers and to the world. Lord, guard us from taking other believers for granted and loving the world. Lord, we ought to love other believers and engage the world with the truth of your gospel. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.